The Mission District, or The Mission, has a long history and it is easily one of the most vibrant neighborhoods in San Francisco. It is home to one of the oldest missions in San Francisco, Mission Dolores. The Mission Dolores Church is the oldest intact building in San Francisco, where the chapel contains some of the most sophisticated religious art in the whole state. Now, did you know that Mission Street was actually El Camino Real? What is El Camino Real, you might be wondering? Well, it's a road that goes from San Diego all the way up to Sonoma. It was the way to get from Southern California up to Northern California with missions and missionaries all along the way. But the first people who were actually here were Native Americans who lived in what is now the mission and were part of the Yalama tribe, who were part of the Ohlone people who made up the immense population 2,000 years before the Spanish arrived in the 18th century when their goal was to colonize and evangelize the natives. So that's why the city is named San Francisco, St. Francis, which is Spanish. During the gold rush, the mission was Irish and then later Latino, and sadly now it's been gentrified and then hipster, and now it's just expensive. <laughs> On a windy day back in November of 2020, Susan and I had an amazing interview with the very talented musician, Mark Capel. He's a composer, arranger, and a music teacher. He also has a podcast, which is based with New Orleans music. Mark is a native of San Francisco. He's a lover of history. He also has a band called Mark and the Casuals. And they're actually that band that we've told you about that will greet you at SFO as you walk off the plane. So he's a pretty awesome guy. And we are so excited to bring you this interview where Mark Capel will talk to you about the history of music and food in the mission. I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. When I think about the mission, it's one of the most vibrant, active, and eclectic neighborhoods that I've ever visited. From the main drag on Mission Street, where there are tons of stores, to all the coffee shops and cafes and up-and-coming restaurants on Valencia Street, to all the different side streets where you can catch music and murals and people dancing, it is the place where the people go. And my experience of the mission has always been a place where I can catch a good drink, some good tunes, and a great dining experience. How about you, Susan? How is your experience of the mission? Well, I love the mission because the mission has so many dance studios. I mean, fantastic yes. dance studios. And Carnival is once a year. And my mom is a dancer and choreographer, and she participates in Carnival. So I would go as a photographer and and photograph everyone. So the mission for me is just, it's spectacular. Carnival is such a, 
exciting time. It's a huge, beautiful parade with all these different dance companies from all over San Francisco. Every nationality is there all celebrating at once. And it has, like you, Jay, I love it because it has amazing food. And then growing up, there's Mission High, Everett Junior High, and Dolores Park, and the mission itself, where there's a lot of music there. And I've sang in in there because I was part of a choir way back when. So the mission has so many wonderful things to offer. I love taking people to the mission. Yeah, and Carnival takes place right in the middle of summer. So you know it's summer in San Francisco because it is hot and the drums are going. Everyone's having a great time. Michaela, tell me about your experience with the mission. Do you ever go down to the mission? (laughs) Oh, let me tell you about the mission. (laughs) The stories I could tell you about the mission. That was my first experience with San Francisco as an adult was showing up out of the BART station, 16th Street BART, I think I've told you about this before, coming here and walking out into the streets of actual Mission Street and looking around and seeing all the different people and everybody moving and mixing around and the smells and the sounds. It is such a vibrant place and I instantly fell in love with it. And that made me instantly realize that I had to live in the Bay Area (laughs) right now. (laughs) And it was because of Mission. And I spent all of my young dancing years going out at bars and then seeing music and all the cute, quaint shops and eclectic fashion and places to buy fashion and people and food. And and the more I could just go on and on and on. And the the weather is perfect there, too, because it's not too cold. The fog kind of rolls in and out quickly. It tends to be more sunny. So Carnival, I've actually haven't experienced it, but I am excited for it and would love to. You should totally go. go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Summer 2022. Carnival will come back. Yay. Yes. Can't wait. My name is Mark Capel. And I'm a native San Franciscan. I was born at Kaiser Hospital, like a lot of San Franciscans and a lot of Bay Area people in 1962. I lived most of my young life in the sunset, the inner, and then almost to the outer sunset. And initially lived in the hate through the summer of love. So I've spent almost all of my life here with a lot of time traveling as a musician, which is what I do now. I'm a musician. I'm a producer. I'm a composer for commercials and films or what have you. Also an educator. And then I also work with a lot of organizations programming music. So I do music in like a a broad scale. I have a a group called the Red Room Orchestra that does soundtrack music that is pretty much that is a larger ensemble. I have another group called Mark and the Casuals that is a soul group and a pop group that is a larger ensemble as well, but moving in a different direction more towards dance music. And I played with a variety of a lot of varieties of groups uh, over the years, gospel groups, the West Coast Spiritual Corinthians. I played with American Music Club. I worked for and worked on a lot of Third Eye Blind stuff uh, before the turn of the century. I've worked with my good friend Tommy Guerrero, a lot of different people over the years. Wow. Third Eye Blind, that was my first concert. Wow. They opened for the Rolling Stones at the Kingdom in Seattle. Wow. 92. That's how young I am. Wow. Okay. (laughs) 
No, it's, it's funny because I will meet people and it's just one of the gigs I've done, but I'll meet people and they're like, oh my God, third eye blind. And third eye blind occasionally catches a little flack for being this and that or the other thing, or because Stephen yeah. has a, he's a powerful guy with a strong personality. But I remember they called me up and they said, bring everything you have to the studio, which is like a mile from here, like on ninth and mission, bring everything you have. I said, well, it's going to take a few trips. And I kept on bringing keyboard after keyboard after keyboard. And I worked on stuff with them for a month or so. And the great thing about it is it's the biggest record and records that I've ever been on. And, and I still get money from it, which is amazing. Yes. So I have nothing bad to say about Third Eye Blind. They've been great for the city. They've been great for me. But the, the, you know, the wonderful thing is as much of a pop group they were, there were so many of us that were you know in the experimental scene or classical music scene or punk scene or what have you that were so well treated by their juggernaut. I mean, they were a, a huge, huge thing. So... That's fascinating. Oh, that's that's cool. your first concert. <laughs> my first concert that I can remember was Janis Joplin. And I said to my parents, oh. why is that lady screaming so much? And then what's wrong with Mickey Mouse? Because there was a light show and they were like distorting Mickey Mouse's image. Oh, wow. So, Where yeah. was that? I'm not sure the venue. I feel like it was the Palace of Fine Arts or a, a place like that. Like it was a large kind of exhibition hall thing. And it was a benefit for the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic. And because Dave Smith was friends of our family. But, you know, we also lived next to the Panhandle. So I saw a lot of things. I'm old enough that I was at the Human Bee Inn. So now you can do my security questions. Anybody who's listening to the show, it's like, <laughs> what was your first concert? And I'm not going to tell you my mother's maiden name. No. Just to stay safe on this one. Please. So tell us more about, we'll get into the mission in a moment, but tell us more about the music scene growing up in San Francisco, because people think of music in the United States and they think of Memphis or New York, but tell us about San Francisco music, especially during the time that you were growing up. Sure. I, I think I have to preface this with kind of discussing who my parents were and what they were about. They met in the mid fifties at Specs, 12 Adler's place. It was called 12 Adler at that point. And we're very much part of the bohemian scene. My father was never very satisfied with the hippie movement because he was very much, we're bohemians, and that's why we moved out of the hate. But they were friends with musicians and dancers and restaurateurs. San Francisco, to a great degree, in my mind, in the mid-50s until, kind of until the freeway comes to North Beach, was the greatest place on earth. It was like... Paris, you know, in the teens or something. And so my parents were friends with so many different people with different skills. My mother was a writer and a librarian. My father, by trade, was a, a welder, but he had been a professional table tennis player for many years and did it on a sportsman level and won a U.S. championship in, in doubles. But he also did it on, in vaudeville kind of stuff. And, and like back in the day, there's just so many different things. There'd be a dog act, there'd be a singer, there'd be this person doing that thing. And so he was really in the, in the world that some people call show people. So growing up with them, I was immediately exposed to music and parties and people having fun. And then this notion of people entertaining themselves in a different way than we perhaps do now, and that people would take turns at the piano or people would do recitations. So I was blessed with the fact that my parents were very deeply into that scene. One of the things that brings me into music is my father was great friends with Maya Angelou and her mom and her family. In the 70s, when I was, I guess, eight or nine, we would hang out with she and her husband at the time, Paul Defoe, who lived in Sonoma. 
and she was a great cook and she had a swimming pool and it was just such an honor to be around her. And it was interesting because both she and my dad came from this world of working on municipal railway stuff. That was the connection. And, and her mom was a merchant marine. So there's all this stuff that comes up really from just out of nowhere. And then people kind of forge it into this great creative identity. But Maya, who never, I used to, you know, it was the 70s, so I was like, Maya, she says, I'm not Maya. I'm either Ms. Angelou or I'm your auntie. You know, <laughs> so she would put me in my place on a regular basis. And at some point she said, Mark, you're useless around the house when we're cooking. Go over and play piano. You're, you're, you're okay at that. Go over and play piano. And, and that was like kind of my first cocktail gig, was trying to stay out of trouble with Auntie Maya a powerful and wonderful presence in her life. And there's a lot of people like that in my parents' life that were poets and dancers. Or, and a lot of them were just people that worked, that had day jobs, but, but the city was so bristling with creativity. Maybe we're not as bristly as we used to be, but at that time, it was just, I was marinating in it from, from the point I was born. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Now tell me about the, tell us about, the mission, which is where you live now, sure. which is where we are right now. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about where we are specifically right now. You may be able to hear in the background, we're at 16th and Harrison Street, and we're in what is, uh, they, they call it industrial or light industrial area, which is, is almost a thing of the past in San Francisco. And I, I, I bring it up specifically where we are because we're at 16th and Harrison, but we're also on the edge of Treat Street, which is where the Mission Creek rule flows down. And so we're literally on a creek bed here. It helps me to think about the city and what it means to me and what the mission means to me to think about what was here before. And why did, why did people walk this way or that way? So we're sitting here uh, on Harrison Street, and next to us is a Muni barn. And the Muni barn is, used to be U.S. Steel. And my father worked there. So I think it's fascinating over the years that like, I've, I worked just steps away doing something that my father would much more prefer to have done than welding. The mission always was a place that we would go to for a variety of reasons. My father, as I said, worked in this building here. He worked in, there's a couple muni yards. There was one where General Hospital is now. And then there's an, another one over on Mariposa that's still active. So we were here a lot because my father would come here. But we were here a lot because the food was so great. The neighborhood was so vibrant and it was funky. And it, it kept this kind of funky and edginess that the hate had lost. I mean, the hate just kind of became very dissolute post-Altamont as it went into the 70s. And, and that's part of the reason we moved out of that neighborhood. It was just sad. But this neighborhood was always, it was warmer. There was free concerts with like Santana and Malo. There was just music in the air. There was, you know, music in the theaters. There's an active theater scene right next to where we are is where the Eureka Theater was. There's the Theater Artaud is right over that way. An amazing early artistic cooperative that Whoopi Goldberg developed the shows that kind of took her to Broadway and took her to where she was, just over there. The mission has always been great for the food, for the life, for the fact that it really represents the diversity that used to be more all through the city. And the weather's great. That's the other thing. If you lived in anywhere sort of past a Visadero, it got a little gray and sad sometimes when you were a kid. And so I was just like, when I move back after college, I'm moving to the Mission. I'm moving to the 94110 because it has the best weather. It's got great food. And I could walk to concerts. And I could walk to movies. 
So the mission means a lot to me, and it means so much to the city. I mean, I've become fascinated because my mother was a librarian. Let me just briefly mention that my mother worked for the Sutro Library, which was the Adolf Sutro collection, which is one of the largest collections of rare books. It's an incredible, deep collection that goes, you know, into like Shakespeare's folios, what have you. But my mother worked there, and when I would go after school to get a ride home or something, I would go into the stacks there and I would grab these books. I have one in my hand here. And it's the Northern California Writers Project. It's part of the American Guide series. And it was part of the WPA. It was to keep people employed, to keep writers working in the 30s. And so I would go back in the stacks and I would read these guides. This one is about San Francisco. So the larger cities, they, they would have guides and then they'd have guides for the states. And I became more and more fascinated with the history and the prehistory, uh, my prehistory, but like the prehistory of the city itself. I mean, the city's so old. You think about 1776, Mission Dolores Church. And what, what happens in, in a community like that? I mean, back in the day, there was a presidio, right, which was where the military would be. That's how you protect the church. And then there'd be the pueblo. So the presidio's over there. And the presidio's fascinating because... Going way, way back, it's always been a way to protect the city by having large trees that makes it look like the city's impenetrable. And then over here, this is what you would find if you made it from the Presidio. And the Pueblo was the mission. The neighborhood was the mission. And the church is, you know, right over there. So that's a few blocks away. And so why was that there? Because the creek, the water was here. And why, why was it there as well? Because of the weather. So it's just sort of like, why are we doing all these things? I mean, even like in, in sort of a little bit of the dystopian world that we've fallen into lately in the mission, you think, why, why are people setting up tents here? There used to be a creek there. It's almost like we're drawn to it. I don't know. That's a very shaggy dog way of, of talking about my love of the mission. For me personally, the mission is how I fell in love with San Francisco when I first came here. It was it was the first time that I was here as an adult and not as a kid at Ghirardelli and the wharf and all that nonsense. But coming here and visiting my friend who picked me up at BART, she didn't have a car. We drove, we got on BART together and then we got dropped off on, I think it was either 26th in mission BART stop or 16th in mission. So you're kind of jettisoned into the heart of everything that's happening. Yeah. And just like you said, it was the culture and the vibrance and the, the colors and the weather and, the, and, and then walking down the road and having this amazing food right there, like this like El Faro, <laughs> which is kind of like greasy burrito, but it's the best, like the best burrito you've ever had in your life. Yeah. And then that night we would go, we'd go out and go to see music at Amoeba or just having all of the different music venues. And so this was only... 2007 so 12 years ago yeah and now it's a little bit different going back to the mission sure and so my friend lived in mission dolores and so we would kind of hang out up there and it was very hipster and it was very artistic it was the place to be still only this little time ago but now it's so different well people have been priced out and people have been displaced. And a lot of these industries that I talked about, and a lot of industries like music, have been impinged upon slightly because of we became a bus terminal, for better or for worse. We are the, the place that all the buses pass through 
on the way to the South Bay and the peninsula for these larger tech companies. And it's great that all the money's in town. And it's great that people are working. It's particularly great that there's certainly people working like Genentech and all that at this point. But what happened is people's houses were so expensive that they had to work so much and they were provided so many sort of extracurricular things through their employers that nobody would go out because if they're paying $3,000 for a one bedroom, they're like, oh my God, I got to use every bit of this I can. So some of the casual music scene and some of the smaller places either had to change or, or had to shut down. As much as I can say, there's a really great point in North Beach which I, I think it's important to talk about North Beach and the mission at the same time because they're both kind of original parts of San Francisco. North Beach is really North Beach. Portsmouth Square was really the center. The international settlement was really what entertainment was about, and that all sort of is around North Beach. And here in the mission, it's a hub. It's an old hub, and it's like Mission Street is El Camino Real. It's the path. I always return to like, why were these things here? So I bring that up again because I think things will return in regards to this being, to use my father's term, bohemian, to be a nightlife milieu. I mean, we still have wonderful clubs. I have wonderful friends that are fighting to keep them going. And we still have a vibrant art scene. But it becomes a little bit like a tell them we were here scenario, which is both lovely, but you don't want to be talking about your own legacy and put yourself in the past tense. That's useless. So I think the height of the scene, we're talking about the 90s and stuff, but mid 90s into the early 2000s, until like 2007 or so, I was an investor and a performer at this place called Bruno's on 20th and Mission Street. And it was really, they use the term halcyon days. Those are my halcyon days. And so many of my friends had their halcyon days. It was a world-class restaurant with two different music rooms in it and astonishing clientele. I mean, you would walk up to a table and it would be Iggy Pop and Neil Young and Jim Jarmusch having a meal. And God, then over die. the corner, there would be you know, Marianne <laughs> Faithful. And in one room, there'd be Marcus Shelby or Lettucey or some bands I played in. And it was just going and going and it was wonderful, but things dissipate over the course of time. So that got me into the knowing more about clubs because I had a, an investment there, but I also was very invested that I was playing there. I was playing there with pop groups. I was playing there with a gospel group. It was just astonishing. And that was such a creative thing. And the creativity of it, which brings me into the food, is just kind of how we're all wrapped in this thing of using where we are to our best advantage. It really is using the fact that this, you know, there's so much great agriculture and food around us. There's, you know, obviously the bay, you know, just there's so many things we can draw on, like the wonderful food that comes from the valley, that comes from Sonoma, the, the wines that come from Napa. So the restaurant scene really fueled things. And even now, places like the chapel, which is in what was an old mortuary and then became the new college on Valencia there and 18th Street, they have done a tremendous thing in being able to sustain what music we can do now safely during this specific time here in 2020 by amping up their food and having musicians involved. And it's great. I mean, I mentioned this to Susan when we were talking earlier, but, you know, the city flag for San Francisco is about rising out of the fire. It's a phoenix rising out of the ashes. And so with this time that we're in now, there's live music out in front of Zuni. They're putting everybody wants music. And the music is coming together with the food, as it did in a different scenario with places like Bruno's or places like Washington Street Bar and Grill or Bix's. 
this town had a cocktail scene. It had a jazz scene. It has, you know, obviously a live music scene. It's got experimental scenes. It's got every kind of wackadoodle karaoke operation that you could possibly imagine in every different language. And so the mission at that point was kind of great because the bottom hill was just opening up and Beastie Boys and Oasis are playing there. And then we had the smaller clubs like Amnesia. We had little places like the Tip Top. We had places like Junkos. It was an illegal club. There's like speakeasy kind of places. And so it was incredibly vibrant there. And there really wasn't a divide between, well, I'm a line cook and I'm a sous chef and I'm a drummer and I'm a dancer and I'm a writer and I'm a photographer. It really was integrated. And the beautiful porousness of this city is its hope. So I, I probably got off tangent on that, but that's my little you know, speech for San Francisco. No, that was perfection. It was wonderful because you really married the food with the vibrancy of the city. And I was gone for 20 years. Yeah. And so when I came back, it was 2002. And I didn't really know what was happening in the mission. My mother has always come to the mission because she's a dancer and a choreographer and she still teaches at ODC to this day on Saturday. So she's been very much part of that world, but I haven't. So to hear, hear from you, the melding and the married, the marriage of the food and the music and how, even though we're in a pandemic, it's still happening, which means we, we are already rising from the, out of the ash into a lot of people just came here and the city was blessed by it's just as beautiful as a place can be but to a certain degree so much of what the music scene became here was because like louisville or like new orleans or new york or los angeles we're on the water and there's boats going in and out and we've got an airport and we've got a train and so what is the san francisco music scene the music i would hear with my parents all the time they called it traditional jazz music which is the proper term for Dixieland music, which we don't, Dixieland, we're not going to say it anymore. Traditional jazz music. So I grew up hearing Louis Armstrong and Kid Ory and, and all this incredible stuff. And, and there was clubs for that. So, and why? Because people came from that area. And the same thing in regards to the gospel scene and the soul scene in the East Bay was because there's so much that happened in Vallejo. And I wanted to talk about the East Bay. The thing about the East Bay is cool is that so many people that were working in the shipyards brought the whole blues scene, the rhythm and blues scene. A great, easy example, you talk about Sly and the Family Stone. Why were they here? They were here in Vallejo. What were they doing? They were doing gospel music that really has origins that are more in the southern part or eastern part of the United States. And, and what did they bring? They brought that to the Vallejo, and then where did it go? Went from Vallejo to San Francisco, and then what drives the 60s? This Here's a band with people that are black and white, men and women, cousin and not cousin, and, and so the origins of the city are because we're a hub of transport as well, and a resource. It's really true. So much music has come out of the Bay Area, like, so much. When you start to really go through the history of the music in San Francisco, it blows your mind. I bring up Sly and the Family Stone, but you can bring up Santana as well. There's, there's a great example of a mission musician. And also, multi-ethnic. Guy brought in all these diverse influences, and it's still very much beloved, you know, or, or Tower of Power. I was just going to say Tower of Power. Yeah, I mean, tower, <laughs> I mean, these nobody was as good as that. I mean, maybe Earth, Wind, and Fire. But we had such great musicians. And why did we have such great musicians? Well, 
for a long time, we had great musicians because there was a thriving nightlife scene for sailors and servicemen. And so that we get back to North Beach. Where did the people that taught Sly learn? They learned in North Beach, and they handed the torch to him. And why else did Sly learn? Because we got great radio in San Francisco. It's a great radio city. So these freeform radio stations, which start here, KMPX, KSAN, and, and others, develop something that eventually becomes college radio. And then we have KUSF. What happens with all the people that were DJs at KUSF in the 80s and 90s? They become A&R people, like David Katz Nelson, and they change the country. There wouldn't be Flaming Lips, there wouldn't be Melvins, there wouldn't be all these groups that we've heard about. So the taproot is strong here. The vibe is strong. And it's a comfortable, lovely place. And as long as we can maintain our love of life and our love of each other in a social setting and an artistic setting, it should remain that way. The question is, can we keep diversity on every front in the city? and not just push it to one side where there's those that are serving and there's those that are being served, which there is more of that these days. But the missions music scene is also, and the city's music scene is fueled by the fact we had great education and we had great schools and we had schools where you would have to learn an instrument as part of you know what you were doing with your education. And the San Francisco Symphony in the 70s and Tilson also, huge, huge, like from Ozawa to Tilson, they provide education for students in a variety of set- settings. Who are the top classical musicians and whose schools did they pass through? So many of the people did it here because of the symphony, the conservatory, Mills College, and what was offered and what was available and the generosity of artists. And why is that generosity there? Because people are happy where they live and they're happy in in what they can create, and that we're such a magnificent Petri dish. So this, these are where the mavericks come from. Amazing. We live in such a, we're so lucky to live in right. such a beautiful place. And, and so I talk about Bruno's, you're going to run into somebody, but what happens when you go to the symphony? You're going to go to some place on Hay Street, you're going to go to Zuni or something, and you're going to see some tremendous person that you would bow down to. Or you're going to maybe see Francis Ford Coppola having dinner or something. You're going to see a film person. And what happens if, if you went to the Warfield? You'd go to Original Joe's, and then Susie and the Banshees would be having drinks at the bar. Or what if it was a punk rock club in a basement in North Beach, like the, the Purple Onion or something? Well, you'd go to Lee Poe, and then those people would be there. It all sort of ties together that we're in this demimon, we're in this milieu, and we swirl around and we cross-pollinate. So that's why the music's so strong, and I think largely positive. I agree, completely positive. Yeah. 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 Positive without being namby-pamby or Pollyanna. It's adventurous, and that's, that's the neat thing. I mean, the acceptance and the loveliness of this pl- place fostered experimentalism, and experimentalism pushed our scene. So post-pandemic is going to come. It's on the rise. So where do you think we're going to go from here musically and also with food in San Francisco? Well, I mean, we still have the resources. The resources are different in regards to education and music. I think that's my one worry with music is that it isn't encouraged the same way. You know, when I talk about sitting around the piano and telling stories or, or kind of doing almost like a vaudeville thing where you would just, the same way you'd play cards or something. That environment isn't really helped by screens and the deceptive echo chamber, hall of mirrors nonsense, which 
drives our world at this point. So I think lifting our heads from that, using that devil's pitchfork to get something thrown in the right way, and then trying to, to reignite a communal aspect and then also a value for the creative scenes and, and sustaining things. Because we're going to have to fight to sustain the Castro Theater. We're going to have to fight to sustain this, the symphony. We're going to have to fight to keep the chapel open or the bottom of the hill. And then we're going to have to care about the things like, yeah, but where do those people eat before they do their show? we got to keep Swan's Oyster Depot alive, too, and the Silvercrest down on Bayshore. We have to keep all these things going because it's like, why did the tree grow so well? It's because of everything that went into it. It's absolutely correct. You just blew my mind, Mark, because I, I'd never really pondered over the, the way that San Francisco is culturally vibrant in the music and the food scene, and they're synonymous with yeah. each other. And they're yeah. compl- I mean, there's the symphony. You have to go out to eat before you go to the symphony, or you have to go party somewhere after you see a great show at the chapel. Yeah. And so it, it just completely makes sense that how all these, na- even the neighborhoods formed around the music venues and people migrated towards those areas of town because they were attracted to that type of music that was playing there or that type of food that was there too which is real which is kind of what we've been this whole podcast is sort of about that and exploring all of the different neighborhoods but you've just very much brought it all together for me in my head well, <laughs> yeah I, you know it, it took a lot of time working in retail to become a successful musician so i've had a lot of jobs and thought a lot about how people interact and i used to look at the store where i worked and i'd see all the people doing stuff and i thought well imagine if we took away the objects and we just saw the people interacting and that's that's the way i kind of look at the city as a whole if we kind of take that away and we see are they moving happily are they interacting? Are they hiding? It's, it's so funny. We, we take that, that one step back, then we can see where we need to open things up and where we don't. But we're still doing great things. We're still able to do live concerts. We still have this great tradition of music in the park. And God bless Hardly Strictly Bluegrass. The Hellmans have been so generous with the city, as have been the performers that have been performing there. And outside lands, God bless a little bit, but I don't like paying to go to the park. I'm happy to be paid right. to play there, but um, <laughs> paying, and, you know, maybe not I should be saying a that, lot. But, but, paying a lot know, to go. <laughs> there's there's so many wonderful places where live music hap- happens spontaneously in the city, be it a BART station, be it a small club, be it a restaurant, uh, that that just bubbles up into everything else. How do you feel it's different than places like New York? where there's a lot of music and food there too. How do you think San Francisco differs? Uh, San Francisco differed until maybe the last few years in that it was more affordable. <laughs> you know, and then at, at a certain point, New York might've been more affordable. I mean, I don't think we have dollar slices of pizza here. You know? <laughs> um, so the competition in New York is stiff and huge and it's derogare. So there's that to think about. You have to be really tough to do it. You have to be a complete ace at what you're doing and you have to keep your head down and really fight your way through New York City. I went to college in New York City and was part of the sort of new wave punk scene there. I played CBGBs for the first time in 1980. And so I knew what it was like to play music there. And I knew that it involved borrowing a car or your girlfriend being mad because she had to help with the amp or getting on a subway train with a, a keyboard without a case. It's not as spacious as it, as it is here. But, you know... Man, I could just 
no San Francisco, no Nora Jones. I'm like just thinking about different like cool people in the New York scene. Like you can just kind of go down this list of people that are so much grown out of the San Francisco scene because it's nice. It just works. New York is and may always be what it should be and can be and return to to a full nightlife scene again. But it has so many great musicians just sparking off each other. But you can't really separate cities. We always used to say that there must be a tunnel underneath the makeout room, which is on 22nd there, which has a lot of neat independent music that goes to Wicker Park in Chicago. And then there's another tunnel that goes to Austin. And there's another one that goes to Cambridge. And then another one that goes to the Lower East Side. So, I mean, New York's different, but we're all kind of in the same scene. There's musicians uh, in my group that fly in from Berlin, that fly in from New York City, that fly up from Los Angeles. And I think if I wasn't in as nice of a city, I don't know if they would do it. (laughs) I think everybody loves coming here. And for for all the things that we were just saying, for the weather, for the beauty, for the the culture, the ease of everything. And the audiences. Yeah, you think the audiences are different? Sure. Concert's a collective experience. So yeah, the audiences are different. We don't have as much of a recording scene here, but we talk about Third Eye Blind or groups like REM or the Breeders. I mean, you can just go on for days. People came here because we had great... Great studios, because we had great radio. And so along this stretch here, there was a variety of recording studios that were generally affiliated where, like, there's the Columbia studio, and there's the DECA studio, and there's this label and that label studio. And so, yeah, Herbie Hancock did his records over on 19th and off of Valencia. That studio is still there. That used to be a CBS studio. There even used to be a, a CBS payola guy that was on the second floor, kitty corner from there, that made sure things got on the radio. So we are very much a, a music city, and it would be like losing a species of whales or losing the sequoias if we didn't stay a music city. We do like to end in hope, which you just gave us hope okay. for post-pandemic re restructuring of San Francisco. Is there anything else that you want to talk about regarding how things are shifting and and shifting back? I'd mentioned this earlier, the San Francisco WPA guide. All these writers were sustained by this, and one of the people that wrote for this guide was Kenneth Rexroth, a very famous San Francisco poet, city life person, and I have a personal anecdote about him because there was a very big artist ball at the Art Institute, and my mother, before she met my father, I mean, even after she met my father, was very attractive, and it was the end of the night, and Kenneth Rexroth walked up to my mother and said, this may be the last chance you have to sleep with the great poet Kenneth Rexroth. My mother said, that's a chance I'll have to take. Um, so anyway, I just, I want to read about the, the thrum of the Embarcadero, which we haven't really talked about the Embarcadero, but that's the bay and that's where the hub of activity was. That's where the ferry building was. And it just really was moving to me to, to just read this last night. It's a little long, but I'll start by saying the busiest section of the Embarcadero is a stretch between the ferry building and the Matson line docks. Opposite the great concrete piers is a string of waterfront hotels, saloons, cafes, billiard parlors, barber shops, and clothing stores. The one cell loft which remains has turned long since to making awnings. In the block between Market and Mission Streets, the atmosphere of the old waterfront lingers in the saloons, lunchrooms, and stores, where seafaring men and shore workers gather. As on most waterfronts, store windows are stuffed with dungarees, Gloves, white caps, good luck charms, cargo hooks, and accordions. A tattoo artist decorates manly arms and chests with glamour girls, cupids, and cross anchors. 
Gone today are the boatmen who once climbed aboard incoming ships from rowboats with articles to sell. But peddlers patrol the embarked arrow, some pushing carts with candies and fruits, mystic charms and shoestrings, lottery and sweepstake tickets. In many cafes or saloons, a longshoreman can cash his brass, the small numbered metal token given him for presentation at the company pay windows. So I just, that, this goes on and on, but it goes on to talk about. The talk is internally of union contracts, politics, jobs, lottery tickets, and horse racing. So, I mean, that's my prehistory. Why did my mother come from Vermont to, to, to be here? She was in the, the Women's Army Corps band. And so she would march around the Presidio. Why did my father come here? Because he was 4F and they said, you go better work on the sh- in the shipyards, my friend. So that's the hustle and bustle that brought us into the 50s and brought us into the 60s, and brings us to where we are now. I love it. I have one last question. If you were to go out tonight, and you could go anywhere to eat, mm. and anywhere to go see a show, where would you want to go? Oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble with so many different venues. <laughs> <laughs> or or um, three. No, I mean, you know, you immediately, you kind of have to think of the Fillmore Auditorium, but I also have to think about bimbos. It's just like saying, which child do I love the most or the great American musical or the right. chapel? I'm going to go to Zuni, I got to say, okay. right off the bat. Because Swans isn't open for dinner. Zuni is, is doing outside and they're doing takeout. But for me, Zuni is kind of the Elaine's of San Francisco. It's neat because it's on all these different levels. And the food's spectacular. And you can smell it walking down the block. You could smell their ovens. That would probably be where I'd go. But I might just go to La Taqueria, you know? <laughs> and I might just go to the makeout room. And I would be equally happy, you know? And I would have so many different choices as to where I could go. As I mentioned, the Silvercrest, I might go to the Silvercrest donut shop on Bayshore and get a donut and an ouzo and play a Greek record on the jukebox. Where would I go if I had one chance? I would go to the first place and then hopefully go to the second and then the third and the fourth place. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. Yeah. This has been really eye-opening and wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to paint such a beautiful picture of our rich, wonderful San Francisco that we all love. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. It warms my heart, and it's great to be with all of you today. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Wow, wow, mind blown, wow. (laughs) Mark totally blew all of my fuses talking about the connection between food and music in San Francisco. And he is such a deep thinker. He's a philosopher of music and life in general. He's like an apostle. I could have listened to him forever. And I've, I've been thinking about this interview for so long now and I'm so so excited that it's finally here and the coolest thing for me personally about this interview was all of those things I just mentioned but also walking into the recording studio that he had us interview him at I saw all of these images on the wall and all these record photos kind of lining everywhere and there's uh, instruments everywhere and it's definitely looks like we're walking into a recording studio and turns out he's great friends with a great friend of mine 
Lenny Gonzalez, who photographs all of the musicians in San Francisco, who also knows David Katz Nelson. And so putting this all together and the, the way that the music community is actually really small in this city and everybody knows each other and everyone is such an incredible deep thinker really is is what I'm finding of all of these music people so I was just completely blown away and I I love I love hearing about Mark's story how is it for you Jay listening and we you weren't there that day but what did you feel like listening to the interview with Mark well speaking of small like San Francisco is definitely a small town but also a big town at the same time and you know how you mentioned that Mark Capel also knows David Katz Nelson, mm-hmm. and 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 as I'm listening to Mark's interview with, by the way, I wish I was there, yeah. number one. And the other thing was, as I'm listening to Mark Capel's uh, episode, it starts to make sense as to how the city is formed. Going back to Rob Zaborny's interview, the Hay Street Bar and Grill was there out of the civic center and all the symphony and all that being built up and entertainment and food go hand in hand. So like San Francisco is definitely a big place in which entertainment drives food and food drives entertainment. It's such a, it makes total sense over here. And I just love how people are interconnected. And as he talks about going into Bruno's and you'll see some of the bandmates of some of the biggest bands there. I wish I can (laughs) run into more people on a day-to-day basis. It'd be really cool. His love for history is fantastic. And the fact that he can do a deep dive on anything, especially in the mission, and also in the sunset where he grew up and his his parents were influenced him when it came to history and everything and poetry and writers and just all those things. I'm always inspired when I hear Mark speak. And he's done so much. And I love that he's a musician. I love that he greets people at the airport. I love that he he can play several instruments. I love that he teaches kids and adults. I just He's a great guy, and it was a great interview, and it was a great way to get to know the mission through his eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to check out some of the photos that we've taken of the the mission and Dolores and all of that on our social media, which is at Beyond the Fog Radio on Instagram and on Facebook. And then I also want to take a minute to thank our small but mighty crew here at Beyond yes. the Fog Radio. <laughs> it's the three of us. And we also have our sound wizard, Connor, and our web wizard, Tim and our theme music whiz, my husband, Tim O'Shea. And then I also want to welcome our new copywriter, Arliss Ray, who has joined our team to make us, you know, sound smart. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, 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 Arliss Ray. So that brings us to the end of this series. And, but, Before we go, we need you to subscribe because that is how we will be able to keep bringing you such wonderful, wonderful people on a weekly basis. So subscribe. Beyond the Fog Radio is available on Google, Spotify, and 
Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. But wait, to end our series, there is one more episode. Guess what it's about? Of course, it's about food. Yes. This time, we visit Arnold Wong, who is a native of San Francisco, and he not only is a chef with a long history of successful and tasty restaurants and bars, but he's a baker, a cheese maker, and he has many lovely venues in San Francisco, which I really recommend that you visit. He's an entrepreneur within the food world, and I can't wait for you to meet him. Those morning glory muffins are my favorite. Oh, you'll have to listen to find out what she's talking about. (laughs) We will see you next week. For now, take care. And thank you very much for listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Bye. 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 Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2021.